Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 207 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the elusive, the infamous, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. It's good to have you back. Obviously, you uh, disappeared on me again out to France this time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, where did you go, Ayaz, anyway? Well, I went to Paris for like two days, just as a little break. So it was proper nice. It's but it was nice. Enjoyed the scenery, but it's good to be back in the UK. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Sometimes you need a break. All the hard work that you put in, Mister Sumra, in life. Uh, moving out though. With the with the with the review part of the show, we're going to start here at the Montreal Casino in Quebec, Canada. Last week, this one, obviously, I think it was on the Thursday night. A very good amateur, Batirzan Jukambiev, sixteen and zero. His record was, like I say, real good amateur. Stepped in there against the very tough Miguel Vasquez of Mexico. Uh, Miguel Vasquez now forty-one and nine. I said I wanted him to get a bit lucky because obviously he shouldn't have beaten O'Hara Davies when he when he uh, you know was on the wrong end of the decision even in O'Hara Davies mind as well uh, at the York Hall and unfortunately the luck wasn't with him um, he he lost a unanimous decision over 10 rounds it was for the vacant WBA Continental and the vacant IBF Intercontinental super lightweight belts there uh, moving out now to the Royal Albert Hall this one was the Friday night of last week let's start with the undercard actually let's start with that um a good win for Dennis McCann, another TKO early for him, a second round TKO against Georgie Georgiev, now 8-16 and 16 with one draw. Georgiev was down in the first round and the second round. Uh, Dennis McCann now 4-0, and 0, a perfect record. Moving up once again, we got to see friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson, move to 10-0, and 0, double figures, a TKO in the second round for him also. That one was against Borislav Zankov, now 11-27 and 27 with one draw. I really do want to see Willie Hutchinson step it up because he was a great amateur, Willie Hutchinson. And I'd like to see them kind of take the same approach as a Zach Chelly, as a Umar Sadiq, as a Cody Davies, where, you know, they're matched early on with some good other domestic fighters, but it seems like they're kind of just feeding him journeyman after journeyman now. And we've heard about the bundles of potential that he's got. You know, he's up in that Ingle camp. He's one of the most inexperienced in terms of pro fights in that camp there. And I just don't see why he's not being pushed on. He's sparring some brilliant fighters in that camp as well. Um, I think he's done rounds with Billy Joe. I think he's done rounds with Liam Williams and stuff like that. So there's many, many big fights for him. And um, I just want to see him pushed on a little bit now, Willie Hutchinson. Still very young, though. Obviously, there's no real rush. Also on the bill, Denzel Bentley out of the Peacock Gym, 10-0. He took on Kelsey Ball, 10-1. Um, 
I believe both men hadn't boxed anyone with a winning record going into this. Or hadn't beaten anyone, I should say, with a winning record. I'm not so sure about Denzel Bentley. I'll have to check that one out. But Kelsey Ball, you know, he had 10 wins against guys with losing records. And the one time he he, he fought a guy with a winning record, he got knocked out in the first round. And it was a repeat performance here. He got knocked out in the first round by Denzel Bentley. He just simply couldn't match him at all. He was completely overwhelmed early, and he got beaten up, really. Um, A win there, a good win there, actually, for Denzel Bentley, because, you know, the record of Kelsey Ball is what it is, but it looks good on paper. He's beaten a guy in the first round there, and, you know, Kelsey Ball, as harsh as it may seem, seems like a nice guy and all that, but, you know, two fights against guys with winning records, and he's been knocked out in a round each time. I mean, that's quite a bad stat there. Um, moving up the card once again, friend of the show, guest on last week's show, Archie Sharp, now 17-0. and 0. It was a defense successfully of his WBO European Super Featherweight title. He took on Declan Geraghty, who was in search of win number 20, but it wasn't to be. He's now 19-5. and 5. But it was a good fight. It was a good performance from Geraghty. The first round was a clear round for him. I mean, already he was reddening up the nose of Archie Sharp. Archie seemed a bit heavy on his feet. He got caught square a few times, maybe the southpaw stance of Geraghty was throwing him off a bit perhaps and Geraghty landed some lovely straight left hands, he was really testing the chin of Sharp so early on Um, I was quite surprised to see Sharp you know a little bit not at the races in the first round, to be honest. The second round, another round for Geraghty. Archie just seemed to be too patient. He wasn't doing enough. He was constantly getting beaten to the punch by the snappy Geraghty. Um, uh, you know, Sharp hadn't really done anything by that point. The third round, that was where Sharp got cut on his left eye. And Geraghty, I think he was cut on the forehead just a little bit. Uh, it was another good round, though, for Geraghty. I mean, Archie did get through with a nice left hook at one point, but he was ultimately outworked. And it was an uphill battle already because it was only a 10-rounder, and I had it 3-0 to zero in favor of Geraghty. But I will say, in that third round, for the first time, Archie was starting to come forward at the back end of that third round. And I think he needed to do that from the very start, to be honest. He was letting Geraghty be the man coming forward and he was looking to try and counter but he wasn't doing enough and then in the fourth round oh my lord I mean I definitely thought Sharp was winning the round at that point but Geraghty got a little bit wild at times in the round and Sharp was controlling things and he needed to start turning it around which he was and then boom what a left hook Geraghty was instantly knocked out and Howard Foster didn't didn't even bother counting what a shot I was absolutely stunned I mean, it was just a peach of a shot. It was a little bit scrappy because they were, you know, I think uh, Geraghty was kind of bending over. Archie was behind him. They were, you know, Geraghty was trying to stay away from shots. Archie was winging him in and then he came up and turned around and he just walked, if you like, or <laughs> not really walked into it because he, he kind of had his back to, the, to to Archie at the time, but he kind of just spun, turned right into the shot. Boom. And it was night-night, really, for Geraghty. And you got a feel for him, because he, he had such a bright start in that fight. But, you know, it is what it is in boxing. Sometimes the guys that are winning the fights get knocked out. Deontay Wilder, um, Tuba TJ said it, on, said it on Twitter. So, not you know, don't even let me steal what he said. He said it was like a Deontay Wilder kind of approach, where he's losing the rounds, and then he, you know, he knocks the guy out. Yeah, very, very true. Um, after a bit of celebrating, Archie was told, you know, by Howard Foster, the referee, to calm down a bit. And 
it was nice to see the pair embrace after the fight. Great sportsmanship. You know, they couldn't stop cuddling in that ring after the after the gloves had come off. And, you know, they're two good fighters and two good guys. So a good win there for Archie Sharp, despite losing a few rounds there. Uh, also on the bill, Nicola Adams against Maria Salinas. It was for Adams' WBO World Female Flyweight title. Her first defense after, you know, becoming champion outside of the ring. She got elevated from interim to full champion. Um, her record now 5-0 and still, but with one minor blemish. It's a draw, 10 two-minute rounds, split draw. And um, Maria Salinas now 21-7 with four draws. That was her fourth draw. She felt she'd done enough. And quite unbelievably, I was very shocked, half of, uh, well, more than half, it seemed, of, of um, the people in, in attendance there at the Royal Albert Hall were booing. I mean, they felt like... Salinas had done enough. They agreed with her uh, that, that she had a point of winning that one. For me, I felt like... I mean, I didn't really score it. You know, the two-minute rounds, I actually find that they should be easier to score. But for me, they're a little bit more difficult, you know. Because, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. But I wasn't scoring it anyway. You know, I've scored women's fights before. I wasn't scoring it. But I felt like Nicola probably did enough. I think the commentary was probably influencing me a bit. I trust Barry Jones to get it right. Again, Barry was on last week's show. Um, completely non-biased at all, Barry Jones, at all. And um, I felt like Nicola did just about do enough, to be honest. But the draw came. I think it was quite a fair thing to do. I think the judges, you know could have given it to Nicola, it was a close fight, but they didn't, they gave it a draw, and fair enough, but Salinas probably will feel hard done by, she's the one who had to travel, and this was her, you know, her her big chance on a big stage in a beautiful venue in London, where boxing started in the UK, and, you know, she, she will feel robbed of what happened there, but, you know, it is what it is, I don't think it was a robbery, I think it was a close fight. Um, moving on most swiftly, because Nicola Adams, I hope she does give her a rematch, but she, you know it shouldn't have even been competitive. Nicola Adams is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. I mean, she's a living legend, to be honest. Her amateur career is just faultless, and you know it shouldn't have even been close. She should have absolutely blitzed this girl. Um, people were saying she didn't do the weight well this time round. I think she's, you know, she's had a few things going on outside of the ring. I think someone said her mother was sick. I think she had a relationship fall apart. All stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, you know, you've got to shuttle that out as hard as it may be when you're under those lights, like Luke Campbell did against Linares. That, you know, that, that factor that he lost his father in the build-up to that fight didn't really seem to play a part because he was unbelievable that night. And um, I'd like to see a rematch, just to be fair. Give Salinas another chance. Uh, Daniel Dubois, though, 13-0, and a knockout in the first round against Ebenezer Tete. 19-0 and himself going in, now 19-1. and It was for the vacant WBO International Heavy heavyweight title and of course the vacant commonwealth title tete down twice in that first round i as i've flown through everything on this card here if there's anything you want to say about any of the fights including the dubois fight uh just just talk to me i mean dubois i think to be fair is the next big thing obviously i mean what a knockout again i mean he's i think he's going to be a future champ world champion in the world yeah you've said it before and you've said you've said it again there um you know going going into that fight i mean I did think it was another tough African guy, um, like Larty. You know, they are tough. They are real tough and stubborn. But um, he got in there, and as as the referee called them together just before the fight started, you know, in, in the middle of the ring to touch gloves and, you know, explain the basic rules and that on camera, 
you know, the body language from Tete was was awful. I mean, he didn't want to look Dubois in the eyes. He kept his head down. He very slowly walked back to his corner. He didn't have his gum shield in. The referee had to tell him that he'd, he'd forgotten it. And I just thought to myself, he's going to get done here. He's going to get done pretty quickly. And <laughs> it was a one-round job. I mean, he was down twice. It was waved off when he got up. He was a tough guy, but obviously no match for young Daniel there. Um, an easy win, if we're being honest. He, he blew the guy away, and I don't really want to see him in there with an unknown African again. I want to see him in there with the bigger names, you know. Uh, Nathan Gorman, the, the win over him, I felt like he could really push on with some momentum, but it's a, it's another drop down. I know it was for the Commonwealth, so hopefully there's no more of that, because he doesn't need to fight any more guys like that. We want to see the Joyce fight like they're talking about and stuff. So let's bring it on, let's bring it on. I'm all for that. Um... Moving on, we're going to leave the Royal Albert Hall and fly straight to the H Arena in France, Ayers. You may have been there, not quite sure. I don't think it was in Paris, this one. But anyway, top of the bill, Tony Yoka now 7-0. and A third-round TKO against the German Michael Wallish, who's now 20-3. Um, Wallish, a decent fighter, but whenever he steps up against a guy with a big enough name, he gets beaten and beaten pretty badly um i think it's three knockout losses now in his last three or four fights so yeah not very good for him also on the bill very good young prospect Salomon sissoko i think he's young um you know certainly young in terms of his, his experience in the pro ranks but a good amateur like i say 11 and 0 now a complete shutout win over 10 rounds against dmitry mikolenko so that's quite quite a good win there for sissoko moving out now to germany at the stad hall in saxon anhout friend of the well, he's not actually a friend of the show. I'd be lying. Um, a friend of Tyson Fury, former opponent of Tyson Fury, Tom Schwartz. He returned with a win here. His opponent retired after six rounds. His opponent, Ilya Mezenchev, now 20-2. and two. And Tom Schwartz, 26-1. and one. It was actually for a belt. It was the vacant IBF international heavyweight title. So all the best there to Tom Schwartz. Moving out now to the Bilbao Arena in Paez Vasco, Spain. Um, a rematch, obviously, against David Avanesian and... Kerman Leharaga, that one was for Avanesian's EBU European welterweight title, um, that was the belt he took away from Leharaga Leharaga had a fight in between the two the two fights and the rematch here happened and um, you know I expected Avanesian to go out there and knock his man out like he did the first the first time, but I didn't see it coming as early as the first round, and that is what happened. Leharaga was down twice in the first round, a TKO in the very first round, so Avanesian now um, you know, proves it wasn't no kind of fluke, and it, you know, he proves again he's a brilliant fighter, Avanesian, very, very underrated. I'm glad that Barry Jones brought up that point on last week's show. Um, very, very, very much a who-needs-him club type of fighter, but, you know, he's the EBU European champion, so there are going to be a few guys that need him if they want to progress. And, interestingly, Josh Kelly obviously was set to fight him before, and then Josh Kelly had to pull out, I think it was on the day of the fight, or or was it just after the weigh-in, I can't remember, and um, yeah, you know, that fight didn't happen, but now he's actually been made mandatory for the EBU title, so that is a fight that will be ordered in the next few days, or or, or weeks, but very soon, so it'll be interesting to see if that fight does happen. Um, that's it though for Spain, moving out now to the... Ooh, to the, let's go here, at the Eagles Community Arena in Newcastle, United Kingdom. Um, 
Thomas Patrick Ward, again, fantastic fighter, now 28-0, a win against Yezna Talavera. You know, I can't keep excusing Ward for these poor opponents. He was boxing a guy who'd lost his last six um, in a row, you know, so uh, it could have even been more than that, but I can see his last six fights, he lost all six, and it was a points win, a complete shutout win there for uh, Thomas Patrick Ward, not quite sure what he really gains from a win like that against a guy like that, but interestingly on the bill, friend of the show, Andrew Selby, now 13-1, and one. Um, it was a points win over eight rounds against Fadili Majiha, who, again, will feel very hard done by. Majiha now 24-14 and 14 with four draws. Um, Andrew Selby, you know, he'd, he'd boxed in Dubai not that long before that. I think it was, was it maybe two weeks earlier or something like that? So he didn't have all the time to prepare for this guy, but he was expected to win easy. It wasn't easy at all. He was down twice in the fight, Selby. Unbelievable. He was down in the first round, I think it was, and I think he was down in the sixth round. I think he was cut as well, but he scraped out a points win over eight rounds, and a lot of people saying he was very, 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 very lucky there to get that. Very lucky. So, I mean, that's quite that's quite shocking for me. Andrew Selby is one of my favorite fighters to watch. He's a guy that, when he turned pro, I thought he is 100% going to be a world champion. And... You know, obviously he fouled when he boxed in that final eliminator. He he, he didn't beat uh, he didn't beat um, what was the guy's name? Julio Cesar Martinez Aguilar. He didn't beat him. He, he come unstuck there in a fight. He was winning. Um, you know, altitude and stuff like that got in the way. Fair enough. But, but then he fights a guy like this who he's expected to just blow out, and it was a life and death fight. So. I hope he hasn't just missed the bus or missed the train, if you like. Um, what a fighter, and what a shame if he ends up not winning a world title. But let's not really go there. He is still early in his pro career. Like I say, it was only his 14th fight. Still got many, many fights to have if he wants them. Uh, moving out now to the Staples Center in LA, California, USA. This one is the final bill to mention. Um, Let's start with the undercard. A win in the very first round, a knockout there for Fabian Maidana, the brother of Marcos. He's now 17 and 1. The win came against Ramses Agaton, who's now 21 and 11 with three draws. Also on the bill, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, a win against Gerald Thomas, who was only 14 and 1 with one draw. Um, not a knockout though. It was a 10-round unanimous decision, pretty much a shutout. Nine rounds to one on two cards, eight rounds to two on the other for Robert the Ghost Guerrero. That was his 30. Sixth win, he's got six losses and a draw. Also on the bill, Jose Cito Lopez against John Molina Jr. A fight that I I thought it'd be a real war, and um, it was quite one-sided really for Lopez. Um, he had Molina down in the first round and the seventh round, but the KO came in the eighth round against John Molina Jr., friend of the show, now 30-9, and nine, and uh, Jose Cito Lopez 37-8. and eight. You know, Molina to be to be down. Um, I said it was once in the first round. I think it was tw- no, it was twice in the first round. He was down, yeah. And you know, it was a massive right hand by Lopez for the first knockdown. I couldn't believe that John Molina got up because watching the replay, the impact was incredible. And the second knockdown was actually a body shot. And I do have to say, it looked like John Molina wanted to get counted out. You know, he he, he stayed down. He really did stay down to the very, very last little second. And when he got up, the referee could have actually said 10 and counted it off. But he gave him a real chance. He said, nine and a half. And he let him carry on. And, you know, Molina did have a couple moments where he would whip in, you know, a big shot here and there. But he just had zero defense. He was so slow. It was like a drunk guy fighting in a car park. And, um, 
you know, in the second round, it was another round for Lopez. You know, he couldn't miss with the right hand. He would throw a one-two, and he would land every single shot every time. I mean, Molina, obviously, he's got the chin of steel. And, you know, he's a tough guy. He stood there as long as he, he physically could. And he would have tried to carry on if he could as well. Um, you know, he did start coming back into the fight in, in, in rounds four, five, six, stuff like that. Um, you know, Molina's success did prove to be short-lived, though. And Lopez came on top once again. He managed to drop... Molina, like I say, for the final time in the seventh round. The Molina got up, he got through the round, the doctor wanted to stop it. There was a bit of a debate. Molina was begging to carry on, they let him carry on. And then, you know, when he did come out, the referee just ended up jumping in because Molina took a few clean shots without really landing anything mean- meaningful. And, you know, the referee saved him really for another day or perhaps no other day. I don't really think he should carry on after that. Um,. Yeah, so that's that one there. Uh, Mario Barrios against Batir Akhmadov for the vacant WBA super... Uh, or world super lightweight title, they call it. Um, yeah, very, 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 very good fight there. Barrios, I felt, was really controlling things early on. You know, great patience and variety in his work. He was on the back foot a few times while Akhmadov was coming forward, putting the pressure on in that southpaw stance. And, you know, he was fainting as well, which I like to see Akhmadov. It was brilliant pressure, but Barrios wasn't worried. You know, he wasn't uncomfortable. It was nice work from him. Um you know, like I say, controlling it early on. In the fourth round, Barrios hurt his man pretty early. Um, the leg just buckled a little bit from Akhmadov. Barrios then went on the hunt. He applied some smart pressure. He didn't get desperate. He didn't overcommit. And he ended up making Akhmadov actually touch down. So it was a 10-8 round there in the fourth. Uh, Barrios then got on the front foot. You know, that was that was a good sign. He started to, you know, control things even more. The pair engaged a few times in what was a real exciting round in that, in that fourth round uh, my criticism of Barrios though is that he's got the willingness to exchange a bit too often he gives the smaller man a big chance when he does that and in that fourth round like I said you know there was there was a few times he could have he could have just got himself in a bit of trouble there um, Akhmadov started then to take over you know the constant pressure from him he managed to swing the momentum in his favour Barrios started neglecting his jab he ended up finding it hard to keep Akhmadov off of him and that resulted in Barrios losing a few rounds on the spin uh, round 9 particularly was a hard round to score Barrios perhaps won the round but I'm not sure if it was well if it was influenced by one, Matthew Macklin saying it, <laughs> and two, Barrios having the best round he'd had for about five rounds, because like I say, Akhmadov probably won round five, six, seven, and eight, um, and that ninth round was just a little bit hard to score. Round 10, again, Akhmadov came out straight away applying the pressure. He was outworking Barrios. He was smothering Barrios. Barrios clearly slowed down. He was feeling the pace. You know, he seemed to be totally spent in the second half of the round, and Akhmadov was all over him like a rash, and Barrios had no answer, really. No energy. Um, it, 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 I've written here as well, it was such a shame to see a brilliant start to the fight, all perhaps ending up being for nothing, because he was so badly under pressure, it looked like he could end up getting stopped, and um, the in-play betting was, was quite interesting, looking at that, you know, they, they, they assumed that that uh, Barrios was going to end up getting stopped in the 12th round the Sky commentary and myself had it totally level it was all on the last round on my card and on Sky's card and it was unbelievable because Barrios hit Akhmadov right on the button and Akhmadov touched down once again a round in which Akhmadov certainly was winning and you know he'll absolutely kick himself you know in my opinion because for me on my card at least that 
let the whole thing flip round, you know. Um, Barrios literally, for me anyway, won the fight on that one punch. And I felt like Barrios especially will learn so much from that. He was more experienced as a pro, but Akhmadov had that insane amateur experience, which Barrios didn't have. And I was surprised Barrios was actually the favorite going into it, to be honest, and throughout it as well. Um, I actually cashed in on, I think it was the 11th round or the 10th round. For Barrios to win in a fight which at that point I felt was level, but I thought he might just get a favour on the cards. So even though he might not be winning the rounds as it was standing, like round 11 and 12 to go, he might he might still lose those two rounds. But I still thought the judges might just do him a favour. It was 16 to 1. I only put a pound on it, but um, that obviously came in because... You know, he, he managed to win it. Uh, for me, he did win it just on that on that last punch in the uh, in the la- or the last round that that one punch that he landed. Um, that that literally on my card gave him the fight. But the scorecards were were way too wide. They'd done him a massive favour when they didn't need to. So the right man won, but the scorecards were too wide for me. Moving up once again. Um, what do we have? What do we have? Let's talk about two friends of the show boxing. Actually, Anthony Darrell was dethroned. He's now 33-2 and two with one draw. It was a knockout in the ninth round against David Benavidez. The champion regains his title. He's now a two-time WBC World Super Middleweight champion. He's also, he's, he's also been, he holds the record of the youngest ever, I think the youngest ever WBC World Champion or the youngest ever Super Middleweight World Champion. One of those. Brilliant stat to, to have under your belt. He's now 22-0. and 0. Um... Yeah, I mean, Darrell was cut on his on his right eye from a punch in the sixth round, and then Darrell's corner stopped the fight during that ninth round. Um, yeah, I mean, Benavidez wasn't respecting Darrell's power at all. He was laughing at him. Darrell wasn't really falling for the mind game, so credit to that. I actually felt he boxed pretty well at the start of the fight, Darrell. You know, Benavidez was constantly walking forward. But Darrell was, was boxing nicely, I felt. I felt like he probably won a couple of the, the early rounds as well, really. In the third round, you know, the round started started nicely again from Darrell. But as it went on, Benavidez did start to take over. There was one spell where Benavidez trapped Darrell in the corner and he was just landing nice shot after nice shot with both hands. That's one of his brilliant things that he's got. He can land great shots. He can punch with both hands as well. And, you know, Darrell did try and tuck up and counter each time, but... Benavidez would take half a step back and make him miss and then land another shot. It was a beautiful, beautiful little uh, few seconds there of boxing from Benavidez. Uh, Darrell, like I say, wasn't really boxing badly. He was boxing intelligently. He wasn't getting the credit, I felt, from the commentary team. I felt like he did win a handful of those early rounds. Uh, Round five was a brilliant round for Benavidez. It's really where he started to take over. Like I say, in the sixth round, that was where we saw the cut on Darrell's eye, just above his... um, you know, just I think it was on his eyelid, just above his eye, his eyeball, and um, it was a bad cut. You know, he bravely carried on after a couple of inspections from the doctor, and yeah, the corner did end up stopping the fight when Benavidez was starting to swarm Darrell, and Darrell just wasn't firing back. So a good stoppage at the right time. He showed courage, which we don't always say for the, for the Darrells, if I'm being completely honest. Um, you know, they've they've had their tendencies to to, you know find ways out of fights and stuff like that but without being critical good performance from him until the cut happened and you know Benavidez I think was always going to win that fight Um, I was surprised it actually went nine rounds there was a few times where Benavidez 
didn't impress everyone. I think Caleb Plant tweeted out a few things. I'd love to see that fight. I want to see the unifications now. I think David Benavidez does also because he told me that he wants the unifications um, when we had him on a while back. Um, but yeah, moving up now to the main event, and this one was a fantastic fight. The final fight to mention of the review part ended up being a split decision win over 12 rounds in favor of Errol Spence, still undefeated 26-0. and uh, It was for his IBF World Welterweight title and Sean Porter's WBC World Welterweight title. The scorecards, 116-111 twice for Errol Spence and 115-112 for Sean Porter. Sean Porter's record now 30-3 and with one draw. Um, the first round, I actually missed. I actually missed. Um, Enzo Macronelli said that Porter won the round, so I thought, okay, I, I just gave him that round on that. Um, so my scorecard, I did have it in the end to Spence, but I'll get on to it. The second round for me, brilliant action. It was a Porter round, though. Um, so I had him two up with the help of Enzo Mac. The third round was a bit of a wild round. The pair exchanged vicious shots on the inside. I actually felt like Spence won the round. Uh, the fourth round, it was turning into a bit of a Hagler versus Hearns, which Barry Jones, I think, said on last week's show, it could be a Hagler-Hearns. He got it dead right. Um, there were glimpses of that in the fourth round. Um, I felt like Porter won the round, though, 3-1 uh, after four. Um, I was starting to think, is Porter exposing Spence? I mean, I, I'd said it many times. It was the first proper challenging welterweight fight that Spence had had. Uh, the fifth round was a Spence round, you know, cleaner work of the two in that round. He kept it on the outside for most of the round. He didn't let Porter get close. It was great intelligence there from from Errol Spence. So 3-2. The sixth round was a real close round. I felt like both men were landing bombs to the body especially, but I gave the round to Spence. So that is 3-3. Free, free. Um, the seventh round, definitely, definitely Porter won that round. Beautiful body shots. You know, some of the body shots looked a little bit low, but they were great shots. Uh, round eight, again, a Spence round, but a very, 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 very much action-packed round. Um, round nine, I gave to Porter. Round 10, I gave to Porter. Round 11, that was obviously where the left hook that Spence landed just made um, made made Porter touchdown. It was a big moment, especially on my card. It was a 10-8 round I gave there to Spence. And then in the 12th round, Spence won that as well. So what's that? That's... Um let me calculate there. I gave Porter one, two, three, four, five, six rounds, and I gave Spence um, six rounds as well, but obviously the 10-8. So real, real close on my card. Um, but a great action-packed fight, and arguably fight of the year. Um, let's just let's just quickly discuss this, though, for a second. I felt like, you know, it was Spence's first real proper test against a true, true, true welterweight. Again, I know people are going to say, hey, he fought Kell Brook, but Kell Brook... You know, he was coming down from middleweight. He was coming down after taking a bashing, really, from Gennady Golovkin. He nearly lost his eye. And, you know, he was he was, he was giving a good account of himself in that fight till it got stopped. I, I hate saying that. I've said that a million times on this show. An actual proper welterweight, a true career welterweight, was, um, was, was Sean Porter. And this was a real test for Spence. And to be honest, I felt like Keith Furman beat Spence in better fashion. I felt like Kelbrook himself beat Spence... Uh, Beat Porter in better fashion, sorry. So Kelbrook and Keith Furman, in my opinion, beat Porter in better fashion than Spence did. But obviously, Styles make fights. Spence was brilliant. He showed that you know he, he really does have the dog in him. Um, but yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, and I I would love to now see Porter fight 
um, Terence Crawford or Terence Crawford obviously to fight Spence that's what I'd love to see that's the, the best fight that can be made at 147 I also want to see Keith Furman as well against one of those guys um, I want to see Manny Pacquiao involved as well he looked good after beating Furman so there's some brilliant fights once again that can be made at 147 but I think the the main fights are against the you know the the two well the three the three at the very top Manny Pacquiao uh Obviously, after beating Keith Furman, otherwise I'd have said Keith Furman. So Manny Pacquiao right up there, Crawford right up there, and Spence right up there. Those three, anyone can fight anyone. I'd love to see those fights. Yes, I would. I, I am, even though you know Manny Pacquiao be giving away a lot of a lot of size to Spence. I still think that's a great fight. Spence Pacquiao, Spence Crawford, Crawford Pacquiao. Give it to me anyway. There, um, obviously. Spence has already announced his next opponent. It's going to be Danny Garcia. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I has anything on the card. Benavidez, Spence, talk to me about anything on the card. And then we'll just talk briefly about Danny Garcia and Errol Spence, the next fight. I mean, it was a, it was a great it was a great performance. It was a brilliant fight. Uh, Sean Paul versus Errol Spence. Obviously, I think Errol Spence is actually the, I think Errol Spence is actually real, the real doer. And I think he's going to... Um, the fight I'd love to see is versus him versus Crawford. I think that'll be a super fight, but obviously he's just announced they'll be fighting Dan, Danny the Swift Garcia. Yeah, an interesting fight again, though. I, I hate to say it, but it's another smaller guy. I know that Danny's been at one four seven for a while. He's got a couple decent wins. He gave a good account against Keith Furman, but he got beat. He gave a decent account against Sean Porter, but he got beat. It's not really the fight I want to see. Um, he does bring a different style to those guys. He's a good boxer, Danny Garcia, but. He's not going to have any match for Errol Spence, I don't think. I don't really see the point. You know, I'd like I'd like to see Spence against Keith Furman instead, or as you mentioned, Crawford or Pacquiao, or even someone like a Ugas. You know, there's there's many guys I prefer than than the Danny Garcia fight. I've, I just think he's been beaten a few times, Danny Garcia. And what's really the point? He's given away size. You know, I don't think he's really got the power. It seems like Errol Spencer's got a real good chin. I don't think Danny's got the power. I don't think he has got the output to match him. I just I just don't see it being an interesting fight. I think Danny loses it quite bad. I think he probably probably might even get stopped in that fight. Um yeah, it is what it is, you know, it's, it's it's another former champion I suppose for Errol Spence, but it's just not a fight I want to see. It's not a fight I want to see, but you know what? The way he beat Paul, it was a brilliant fight. I give him all the credit. I really do. He beat him on my card as well. Um, again, I think the, the cards were a tad wide. Well, one of them was to Porter, but the others, you know, they were, I think it was five point gap. So that was very wide. But yeah, I mean, he is one of the best at 147, Spence, but I just, I mean, you watch that. You watch that performance there, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a tough, 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 tough fight definitely the toughest fight of his career. I can't put him in my pound-for-pound pound top 10. I just I just don't think I can get him in there. I think he's probably 11 or 12 or 13, but I can't get him in my top 10, Errol Spence. Maybe I'm a bit of an Errol Spence hater without realising it, but I don't know. I, I want to give him credit, but these fights, I mean, if he'd have, if he'd have knocked him out, I said it. I, I expected him to, to win on points, but I said I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the, the knockout over Porter late on. Because, again, people forget, Porter was down against Broner. 
you know, Porter, wasn't he, was he down against UGAS even? I can't remember. But, you know, Errol Spence is a big puncher. He's, he's, he's huge for the weight. Again, the size was apparent once again. In all of his fights, the size is apparent. Spence, he's so massive and he fights all these, all these shorter guys. But he wasn't really able to hurt Porter at any point. And because it was such a rough and tumble fight, I just, he didn't beat him unbelievably well. So I don't think he, is in my top 10 pound for pound. Sean Porter's nowhere near my top 10 or top or top 40 pound for pound. So if it was such a close fight, how can you put him up there? You know, he had the advantages of the height and the size and the power and, you know, all that stuff. But how, how, how can you put him in your top 10? I question people. If, 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 if I'm saying something wrong, if I'm being too critical, let me know on Twitter. We always welcome a friendly and respectable debate at Box Heart Podcast on Twitter. That is about everything, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap it up, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBO Super Featherweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Jamel Herring. Jamel, my man, welcome back on the show. Hey, no, it always good to be back, man. Always good to speak with you, brother. Same to you, my friend. Same to you. We last spoke back in May. Um, it was right after the win, obviously, over Ito, a fight I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, in the meantime, I feel like, you know, not only yourself, also your fans um, have, have had to be pretty patient. We've had to kind of wait a little while to find out what your next <laughs> your next move would be. I think you 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 were waiting as well. Um, it hasn't been that long, to be honest, but I want to ask, has it sunk in yet, Jamal? Do you, do you feel like a world champion now? Are you getting that well-deserved recognition, recognition finally? Um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I'm getting that recognition, and more importantly, more importantly, the, um, the respect aspect. But I'm still hungry, and uh, you know, I still want more. I still want to accomplish more, obviously, in my career. Absolutely, and you seemed like you wanted to try and land a unification fight rather than a mandatory or a voluntary defense of your title. Obviously, the man you seemed to be chasing for a while was Miguel Burchelt. Um, why did you want him, of all people, though, Jamal? Because some would say he's probably the best fighter at Super Featherweight, and you'd have been a big underdog in that fight, all in what would have been just your first defense straight away. Um, and that's the whole that's the whole purpose of it. Um. If you, I wanted to be basically, you know, if I was going to be a world champion, I wanted to obviously shoot for the number one spot, at least in my division. And obviously, um, Miguel Burchell holds that number one spot on a lot of people's, um, you know, on, on rankings. If you look at, you know, ESPN's ranking, um, Ring Magazine has him as number one. So that was basically the main reason why, you know, I wanted to, um, to, to go for that, to go for that um, title because you know I've been an underdog plenty of times. You seen that even even in the last fight with Eden, you know, but you know I wanted to showcase that I'm not I'm not a champion. I just want to hold on to a belt. You know I'm willing to go out there and risk it all and just to um, you know and, and continue to push myself to compete with the best out there. Yeah, for sure. I thought you might say that, to be honest. But um, obviously, the fight, the fight didn't come to fruition. Um, you've now been ordered to, <laughs> to to face your mandatory Jamel. Your mandatory is the undefeated Lamont Roach Jr. What do you know about your man here? Um, actually, I've known Lamont for over well over a decade. Um, we sparred a few times in the past, so we're like I said, I'm very familiar with, with his style. And I used to train out there in the area in the D in the DC area. When I was with um, Mike Stanford and Adrian Broner on um, camp a few years back, so I'm very familiar with, with my opponent, and I'm actually I'm actually you know motivated, looking forward to looking forward to this fight. And obviously, Roach has got a pretty good amateur career. You know, he's a young guy, but very seasoned. 
you know, for being a young guy, obviously with that, with that, with that amateur experience, he's obviously undefeated as a pro. Like I say, this kind of fight gives me the feeling that this will be two good boxers going at it. It won't necessarily be a boxer and a puncher like times in that Ito fight. This will more likely be skill against skill. Am I right there? Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's sort of an aspect. Um, I actually plan on you know doing a few things, different things with this fight. Um, like I said, I, I want to obviously, of course, I'm, I'm a natural boxer, but uh, you know, I, I want to also you know test myself and work on some other things as well. So that's why I've been you know preparing for this camp in a different manner than the last um, camp against with um, Ito. And just to remind people, the fight takes place on November 9th in Fresno, California. Ticket prices start as low as just $29. And also, right. this is something I read online, Jim. I'll confirm if this, is, if this is correct. If you're a veteran or actively working in the armed forces in the States, then Jamel Herring will give you up to four tickets for free for you and your family. Am I right in saying that? Oh, yeah. Like, like this is like basically like a, a gift. You know, to the public, we want to give back, especially to um, you know, our armed forces, you know, veterans, active duty, men and women. You know, we just want people to come out and have a good time. We're not, you know, we're not focused so much on, you know, trying to make a make a quick buck. You know, we want to get people out there and just to you know have have a good time. If, 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 at least for at least one night, you know, people can come together and just enjoy what was taking place in front of them. That's a fantastic thing, man. I really. I really hope the place fills up and there's lots and lots of, uh, you know, Marines and stuff like that. There always is, to be honest, for your fights, Jamel, but that's a lovely thing there that you've done. Right. Um, I'm sure that you, you happen to watch ESPN Plus on Friday night. Uh, if if so, did you get to see Archie Sharp against Declan Geraghty? If so, what did you make of it, Jamel? Um, yeah, I got to watch it. I, actually, it's funny, like, as soon as I um, actually clicked on the app, his fight um, happened to pop up. Uh, like, I got lo- I, I actually got lost track of the... Um, you know the whole fight we scheduled because I've been I was I'm in training camp, so I was actually surprised that um you know to catch a good you know a card that night, but um yeah I caught the fight, and he like I said he, he finished he finished he finished well I give him that I can't even on the phone you know he finished he finished he did what he had to do he got he got the W you can't diminish that and you know he did it in, in a spectacular fashion it was only maybe a few things that I picked up that you know that he could have probably did a lot better in between from the, the beginning of the fight to the time he got the knockout. But overall, like I said, I'm not here to, um, you know, to bash anybody. Like I said, the guy got the win. And, you know, it's basically, you know, is on to is on to bigger and better things. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think he, he, he didn't start the fight well. He, he probably lost every round, to be honest, until that until that shot. Yeah, um, I, 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 and that's, I think I think it's just, just a lot of too much too much waiting, you know, too much waiting. He gave he gave his opponent a little too much confidence. But um, like I said, in the end, he got the job done. That's all that matters. But there's still a lot to improve on and to work, you know, to work on in the future. But like I said, a W is a W at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. And also, I'm sure you must have tuned in. Spence against Porter the other night. One of the best fights I've seen in a long, long time. What did you make of it? I know you yeah. must have watched it, Jamal. Oh. Oh yeah, of course. Like I said, um, I, I couldn't miss that. Um, Errol was, you know, one of my Olympic teammates from 2012 U.S. team, and I've, you know, I, I've known Sean and his father for well over many years now as well. So I mean, it was, it was a great fight. Probably, we, you could probably, you know, argue says probably one, you know, it could be a good candidate for a fight of the year, depending, you know, how the rest of the year goes. But it definitely was. You know, eye-opening to a lot of people, but I actually, you know, I've, I've been saying this for a long time that I felt that Earl would get the win, but I knew it wouldn't come easy. And, and sure, and sure enough, 
Sean didn't make it an easy fight, and it actually it, it, it didn't go from a it didn't go from an ugly fight. It was actually you know a real tactical you know toe to toe action bra. It was a brilliant fight, and you're right when you say that. I mean, talking of fight of the year, I mean, it's right up there. It, it probably is. Well, it's probably second, actually, behind Ito Herring. <laughs> <laughs> I, still need my, I, still, I still need a dance partner that's going to, that's going to you know, really, really push me like that. But I definitely will put it, you know, that's definitely one of my, you know, one of the best fights that I've seen this year so far. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, I want to ask you this question. I'm going to be quite tricky the way I ask it here. How would your okay. how would your gym mate Terence Crawford get on with Porter? Because I know that you, uh, you know, you, you're good friends with with Spence. You're good friends with Crawford. They're both your guys, so you you probably won't tell me who wins if they fought each other. You're going to probably sit on the fence. So I'm going to be smart and say, would Crawford have an easier time with Porter than Spence had? <laughs> I mean, I, I'll be honest and say I don't think anybody has an easier time with Sean Porter, especially if if, if you look at it. Sean Porter is the type of fighter that basically he comes to bring his best when his back is against the wall and people are counting him out. Because if you look at the Ugas fight, a lot of people maybe have felt that Ugas had won that fight and Sean had you know uh, um, a down you know bad performance that night. You know, but when when the odds were up against him and it was time, it was time for him to step up to the plate, you know he 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 well he he really stepped it up in his whole game and. You know, people aren't, aren't talking about how he looked in the in the Ugas fight. You know what I mean? So I really can't say that. You know, even if even if, if um, Bud was in there with him, that it'll be you know easier. But I'm pretty sure, like he would approach it a lot different. But at the end of the day, you know, Sean Porter brings his best against a level opposition out there. Yeah, fair comment. Again, I don't think anyone has ever looked sensational against him. He's so hard to look good against. The only, the only, the only, I think the only man that I actually said that, that got the best of him and he actually made me become a fan was Kel Brook. Kel Brook um, boxed the perfect, I, in my opinion, a perfect fight against um, Sean. Um, and, you know, at the time, Kel was basically unknown in, in the States. So I guess I don't know a lot of people underestimated Kel, um, Kel's ability because we all knew around that time Kel was coming off. You know, he had a lot of delays from getting you know getting his title shot with the injuries and everything. So I don't think people gave Kel much of a chance coming to the states. But um, I believe that Kel Brook physically was, was, was stronger because he um, he neutralized Sean's aggress- aggression and he, you know he basically kept Sean on the end of a stick. And every time Sean tried to get in to bully Kel Brook. He um he basically tied him up and pushed him back. So I think Kell Brook to this day is the, maybe the only man that that's um you know that that's really giving Sean a lot of problems. But like for um in terms of like you know Sean when he fought Keith Thurman and Spence, those those were some very you know tough rough fights for both for both men. Yeah, very true. And finally, Jamel, just I uh, just want to throw it over to you as always. If you've got any closing words to our listeners just before we let you go, um, just send a message. Um, like I said, man, I, I, I love, I love the, you know, everything that's going on on that side of the, um, you know, that side of the world. Um, the ex of the UK fans have always showed me a love of sport, so I would never go out there and disrespect, and you know, disrespect that fan base. And, like, and this is another reason why I love, even, you know, speaking with you. Every time you hit me up about an um, interview or anything, it's just a chat. I'm always available for you, man. Because, like I said, you, you, um, you helped me get my, you know, my name out there a lot, and uh, you know, I really appreciate the sport. And I know, and I and I have to, and I, I have to address it. Like you said, man, um, <laughs> I know people ask me, um, 
when like this whole thing with the Archie situation. I was like, I, I you know, I mean, I acknowledge him, I see him, and I'm, you know, I'm happy that he's doing, he's doing what he's doing. So I'm not gonna be that type of champion that said he's a nobody, you know, and, and be just disrespectful. No, I acknowledge the man. I, like I said, I tune into his fight. I just think that um, I don't know. Like I said, you, we all know boxing is comes with the powers to be, as I may say. So like I said, I could I could see that fight happening in the, in the future. Don't get me wrong, but like I said, um. To give you a good a good gem, I think on my end, I believe after if all goes well, at least with the, the title defense in November, I know that Carl Frampton was a name that was brought to my attention as well, and um that potentially could happen on St. Patrick's Day out here in the states um in 2020. So this, I mean, there's are there are potential fights, you know, basically lined up for me. But I do, like I said, I I do have my sights on everyone that basically calls my name or who's come who's who's moving up the ladder <laughs> could be some big nights for you then it could be uh carl frampton <laughs> on the on, on st patrick's day archie sharp perhaps on the fury wilder undercard in february <laughs> yeah i mean and I, 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 heard, I heard people you know actually you know fans you know mention that as well but like i said um I just gotta, I, I, you know me, man. I, I don't like to look ahead too yeah, far because I have to, just keep, yeah. Is a decent, is a decent opponent. Um, like I said, I, I, I believe that I, I will get past this fight on him down um, at the end of the day. But you know, I still have to remain focused and just, you know, just stay humble and grounded and continue to carry myself as a, um, as, as, a, as a champion. Absolutely, Jamal, absolutely. But listen, it is always a pleasure speaking with you, my brother. Best of luck for November 9th out there in Fresno, and we'll no doubt catch up right after. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I ask what you got. On November the 23rd, uh, John Ryder will face Callum Smith uh, for the world title, for, the, for Callum Smith's WBA world title. Yes, um, a fight that's been talked about for a while. Obviously, John Ryder's managed to work his way up to the mandatory position. Um, John Ryder, friend of the show. Callum Smith, friend of the show. We're hopefully going to be speaking to John Ryder at some point later on in the show. Hopefully, we can get him on. I've reached out, so if it happens, then it will happen. Um, but yes, yeah, a tough fight for John. You know, we we got to remember he's looking so brilliant since he's moved up to super middleweight. He's one of the most improved fighters in world boxing. I've said it many times, but... You know, he lost at middleweight to Nick Blackwell. He got stopped there. And, you know, fighting someone as big as Callum Smith, he's going to be giving away so much size there. And Callum Smith, you know, arguably the very best super middleweight in the world, you know. So it's it's a tough fight. Johnny's up against it. Um, I just, I just, you know, I feel sorry for John because, like I say, he's improved so much. And, you know, I just, I want to see him make something of his career, you know, because he, he's, he's had a few hard fights in a row. He's, he's took some real hard, 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 hard routes, you know, and fights to get to a world title. He's took the hard road. He really has. And he's been knocking people out on the way, and he's looked unbelievable. So, you know, people have done a lot less and got a world title shot probably twice over. So I want to see him do well here, but he is up against it. He's the underdog. Hopefully we speak to him a bit later. And finally, the last news is that Deontay Wilder will face Lewis Ortiz in a rematch on November the 23rd. Yes, that one, of course, for Wilder's WBC 
heavyweight world title. Um, don't really see the point in it, to be honest. I mean, the first fight was good. Luis Ortiz had a good few moments in there. Respect to Wilder for not going down. I don't know how he stayed up, Wilder. That was where he really showed us he's actually got a way better chin than what we thought. But yeah, should be decent. But Ortiz, I mean, he hasn't looked great since then. Um, he's had a couple fights where he didn't look great. I think it was Christian Hammer and Travis Kaufman. He just didn't really look that good in those fights. He's getting much older, and um, no one really knows how old he is. He's, he's definitely, he's got to be older than 50. I mean, I saw him, the, a picture of him the other day with his hairstyle a bit different, and he just looks like, he just looks like an old dad hanging around with like his son's friends. You know, like the, the the boxers that 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 are near him. You know, like when he did the face off with Wilder. Wilder still looks like a young, healthy young man. You know, a fit guy. And you've got him. He just looks like Wilder's dad. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, he's a good fighter though. He can fight well for for a fifty-something-year-old man. But um, it is what it is. Uh, hopefully, it's a good fight. But you know. Hopefully, hopefully Wilder wins. To be honest, because I don't really see the point in it. I think Wilder will win, but it'll be interesting. Hopefully, Luis Ortiz starts fast and just tries to go for it. He probably will get a couple of opportunities. It'd be interesting. It is what it is. It's heavyweight boxing. It's a decent fight. It's a good opponent. But I just I don't really like watching a rematch ever unless the first fight was a real close fight. But it ended in knockout. He did have a moment. Uh, you know, Wilder come through the storm and he knocked him out. So. No no real need to see it again. And that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Let's talk about the preview part of the show now. Um, we're going to start here. A card that's happening tomorrow night is part of this golden contract thing at the York Hall in Bethnal Green. Um, firstly, on the undercard, a, a heavyweight fight that's gone under the radar, George Fox, that's the son of Don Charles, 2-0 and as a professional. It's a four-rounder against Dorian Darch from Wales. That's a that's a that's a that's a, that could be a good fight there. Dorian Darch twelve and ten with one draw, better than his record suggests. Very tough and gutsy guy. Uh, also on the bill, obviously the way they did this, the the um, you know the fighters got to draw. Like they, they, I think they had four blue balls and four red balls in a bag, and. The fighters put their hands in, and whoever I think drew a blue ball got to choose their opponent. So it's a it's a real interesting one here. Um, so in the end, Lee Wood, obviously with his record twenty two and one, he is the what is he? Is he the Commonwealth champion? Of yeah, I think he's is he the Commonwealth champion? Um, yeah, he's a Commonwealth champion. Um, yeah, he 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 drew a blue ball and he decided to choose David Oliver Joyce. Obviously, the undefeated, very good amateur. That's that is a brilliant fight. He he probably picked the toughest guy he could have picked there. Um, so yeah, brilliant fight there. Lee Wood twenty two and one. Uh, David Oliver Joyce eleven and zero. Um, Jazza Dickens chose Carlos Ramos. Uh, D- James Jezza Dickens, friend of the show, twenty-seven and three. Carlos Ramos, eleven and one. Um, Heron Sakaris, he is the Cuban boxer. He holds a record of twenty-two and zero with three draws. Good amateur. He decided to choose uh, Ryan Walsh, the British champion, twenty-four and two with two draws. Again, that could be a brilliant fight. And finally, Tyron McCulloch, thirteen and zero. He chose Carlos Araujo who has a record of 15-1. and one. So some great fights. They're all over 10 rounds. Obviously, the winners then face each other in the next round, so that could be quite exciting. Also, the undefeated prospect, I believe he's still fighting on the bill, Sam Gilly, 9-0. and 0. He's in a six-rounder. No opponent just yet. 
Uh, moving out now to the Doncaster Dome in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Friend of the show, Gavin McDonnell, former world title challenger. Two times over, his record 21-2 and because his two losses came at world level. He's got two draws. Uh, he's in an eight-rounder against Nathan Kirk, who's 12-4. and four. Uh, Moving out now to Denmark, we've got one fight over here. Friend of the show, Ashley Fearfane, part of his world tour. 47-8 and eight with one draw. He's in a 10-rounder against Kasim Uma, who's 29 and 13 with one draw all the best there to ashley um and this one happens at the action indoor sports which is i think also called the whitchurch leisure center in bristol united kingdom a fighter to mention over here former world champion friend of the show lee haskins he obviously won a world title uh you know lost it decided to he lost it to ryan bennett then he decided to retire then he made a return to boxing this will be his 40th fight and it's a special one. It's an eight-rounder against Jordan Rodriguez, who's eight and four with two draws. That's not the, the the special part of it, not because he's boxing Jordan Rodriguez, but the special part is that Lee Haskins' very own son, Anton Haskins, is making his debut on the same card. So that's quite a bit of history making there. So all the best there to Lee Haskins and his son Anton. Anton Haskins, four rounds against Ibra Riaz, a journeyman with a record of six wins, 168 losses and four draws um i've got nothing against that that's that's a cool 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 little thing there reminds me a little bit of oliver mccall and his son boxing on the same cards didn't shane mosley and his son do it as well um yeah all the best there though to the haskins family good people moving out now to the pal center in delaware usa um Two fights to mention over here. Friend of the show, Henry Hank Lundy, 29-8 and eight with one draw in search of win number 30. He's in an eight-rounder against Lewis May, who's 21-16 and 16 with one draw. Uh, also on the bill, China's Fan Long Meng. That's the guy that beat Frank Buglioni, and then I think Frank Buglioni retired right after that. It was on a Monaco card. Fan Long Meng now 15-0. and 0. He's in an eight-rounder against Gilberto Rubio, who's 9-8. and eight. Uh, moving out now to the Dort Federal Event Center in Michigan, USA. This one's in Flint, of course. It is the home of the of, of the legend, really, of the ladies' side of the sport. Clarissa Shields looking for win number 10. It's for the vacant WBO and vacant WBC Diamond Super Welterweight female world title. She takes on Ivana Habazin, who's 20-3. and three. This one, by the way, is actually being shown on Box Nation. So you might want to tune into that if you're still subscribing to Box Nation. It's on Box Nation, that one, the Clarissa Shields card. But there is one bad thing. It clashes with the Golovkin card. So you may not want to watch it live. Uh, also on that card, very good prospect, Jerome Ennis, 23-0, brilliant fighter. He's looking like one to watch for the future. That's a 10-rounder. He's in against Damian Fernandez, 12-1. and And finally, the MSG New York USA, almost the adopted home of Gennady Golovkin, 39-1 Golovkin with one draw. He's searching for win number 40 here against the very good Sergei Derevianchenko, 13-1. Of course, as the one loss came to Daniel Jacobs, it's for the vacant IBF and vacant IBO world middleweight titles. Talk to me and give me your prediction. Brilliant fight. Oh, yeah, definitely brilliant fight. I think, I mean, it's going to be, uh, to be fair, I think it's going to be a Golovkin win. I think it's going to do very well. Um, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Golovkin to win by a knockout. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past that. You know, he's he's got 35 KO wins from 39 wins. You know, he's only, he's only one on points 
um, four times. Obviously, the two you know the two fights with Canelo they they don't count in that because that was a loss and a draw. But um, you know, sensational fighter Golovkin looks like he may have lost it just a touch. You know, against Steve Rose, Steve Rose had a had a couple decent moments in that fight until he got knocked out. But Golovkin didn't really respect his power. Here, I think we will see a very motivated Golovkin because Deverianchenko or Derevianchenko, I should say, was a real good amateur. Um, you know, he's he's been around the block definitely. He really he really was seasoned as an amateur. And you know, against Jacobs, he had some brilliant brilliant moments. And I actually felt like that that fight was a hell of a lot closer than what. Um, what most people saw it. I mean, it was a split decision, so it was close. You know, one one guy gave it to him, but I can't remember how I scored that. I remember having that real close. It might have been a draw on my card, or I might have just given it to Derevianchenko. Can't remember now, but I remember it's just in the back of my mind that that was a super-duper close fight on my card, and I felt like, you know, I felt a bit sorry, actually, for Derevianchenko. So this is a this is a brilliant, brilliant fight. Um, you know, for those that don't know, I've seen a few people on Twitter saying things like this guy is another bum for Golovkin to look good against. That is just absolute stupidity to even say that. Um, so it's, it should be a brilliant fight. But yeah, you know, Golovkin as a professional, his style is so, so, so suited to the pros. It's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, obviously he had a real extensive amateur career as well. So I think the edge is definitely with Golovkin. Um, be interesting to see what the bookmakers make of it in terms of the odds and stuff, but it's a super fight. It's a super fight. You know, Derevianchenko, even though he's got that one loss, you know, he's he's only got 13 wins. He's such a brilliant fighter. So this could be real interesting. And do you know what? I, I'm interested to see what the what the price will be for an upset win because I wouldn't I wouldn't write that off. You know, I, I wouldn't I, I can't write Derevianchenko off. He's a talent himself. Also on that bill, Ivan Baranchik, 19 and one, former world champion. He's in a 10 rounder against Gabriel. Bracero. That's a former opponent of um, of Paulie Malinagi. That was one of Paulie Malinagi's last ever fights. So um, Paulie Malinagi beat him as well. So I think Baranchik wins that one easy. Uh, Bracero has a record of 25 and 3 with one draw. Um, so yeah, some, some good fights there. Let's quickly just discuss the predictions from last weekend, just quickly, because I almost forgot. Well, I did forget at the start. Um, I went with Benavidez by knockout, so did the listeners, so we both gained a point there. I, as you, went with Benavidez on points. Of course, that didn't happen, and we all went with Spence to win on points, and that did happen. So two out of two for myself and the listeners, but just one point gained for you, Ayaz. And you said that you see Golovkin winning the fight by knockout, so do I. And the listeners, just to confirm, they went with... Golovkin by KO as well, 67% with that, 19% Golovkin on points, uh, just very low percentages for Derevianchenko, 8% by KO and 6% on points, so uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a much closer fight than that, it's going to be very competitive I feel, but I think Golovkin probably gets the knockout in the later part of the fight for me. Very interesting stuff, though. Definitely don't miss it. And remember, if you don't want to watch that, you can always watch Clarissa Shields on Box Nation, friend of the show. I'll be watching both somehow, by some way. But that is everything for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up, there is one last thing to do, of course, and that is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Islington icon, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome back on the show. Thank you for having me. I like the, um, the icon bit. I think we can get a little, uh, little collaboration with D-Squared there, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, announcing you as that for quite a while. That's what I always call you. I'm trademarking it anyway, so I'm not sure if you can use it. 
that's it. <laughs> so, John, we last spoke back in May. Uh, it was just after, obviously, the Ackerwee win. Uh, you know, there was there was quite a gap after that win up until your next move was announced. I think you were kind of waiting around a little bit yourself, not really knowing what was going on. Uh, was it a bit of a frustrating period at all, John? It was, yeah. I mean, it's coming off a career-best win uh, in Vegas, and then you sat around for months, sitting around scratching, you know, not knowing what's next, and just um, becoming a bit disillusioned with it, especially after such a good win. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there was talks of you and uh, and Eubank Jr. possibly getting it on. How close was that to actually happening, John, or was it just rumours? No, no, it was, um, I believe it was uh, definitely agreed on my part. I believe it was agreed on his part, but I just don't think ITD could secure a date for it. Okay. And um, obviously, your next fight has now been announced. You'll finally get your world title shot. It's set for November 23rd. Uh, if anyone deserves a world title shot, it's you, John. You know, you've had a long, hard road to the title. You're finally now knocking at the door. How pleased are you to be this close to becoming a world champion, firstly? I'm over the moon. I mean, um, this hasn't been gifted. I've, I've, I've earned this. I deserve this shot. And um, it's a shot I believe I'm going to win. And people will say, shot the world. I've, um, I mean, I'm going to go for a bit of a Nate, Nate, Nate Diaz. And I say, I'm not surprised. I mean, I've worked hard for this. This is years and years of graft and upset and sadness. I mean, all coming into this, this fight. And, you know, you always hoped that you'd box the winner of Groves against Smith, even though you've had to wait over a year. You are finally fighting the winner of that fight. It's no secret that the size advantage is firmly with Callum. Um, I'm guessing, John, that the idea here is to try and get on the chest of Smith, to try and put him under real pressure, to try and test that chin as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, um, Smith's on their fight, so he's good around it, you think, because he's so big that he's, he's no good up close, but... He's got all the tricks in the book, mate. He's, he's good. He can work to the body. He can work to the end. He's um, such long levers. He works well up close. So, listen, I know what I'm up against. I know what a tough man I'm in for. But I just believe timing is everything in this sport. And I believe the timing is no better for me to become a world champion. Yeah, I mean, the momentum that you've got is, is just unbelievable. Like I say, you have just, you've just, wow. Since you've moved up in weight, you've just, it's, I, I can't even really speak on it. It's the be- the best improvement I've seen in world boxing. I've said it time and time again on this show, John. Um, how do you see the fight actually playing out, though? Do you do you see the fight going into the second half of things, or do you do you not really envision that far? Uh, yeah, I do because I believe that he's world champion for a reason. Do you know what I mean, he's he's not gonna beat a, a nobody for the title. He's gonna beat George Groves. Do you know what I mean, a, a good champion, and I mean he's a good fighter. He's, he's Really put a foot wrong in his career so far, so he's not just going to go and lay down. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough night's work. And this might sound like a strange question, but do you class yourself as an underachiever, John, or an overachiever? Because maybe it's best to ask this question after the fight. But you know, obviously, struggling at British title level at, mid- at middleweight, to think that you've gone on now to challenge for a world title after moving up in weight—I mean, to think of that back then would have just been crazy. And not to mention the list of wins that you've racked up over the past couple of years. I mean, are you an underachiever? Are you an overachiever? Where do you see it, or is it too early to really answer the question? No, I think I think I've massively underachieved so far. I should have been outright British champion at middleweight, and just things didn't go my way. I had a, a tight loss to Billy Joe Saunders. Um, just done the weight wrong for Nick, Nick Blackwell fight. Didn't go my way, and then the, the attempt at super middleweight, which I believe I won. Do you know what I mean? So it's just uh, it's one of the things that we we'll take the rough with a smooth. And who'd have thought now? Two years down the line from the Rocky Fielding defeat that 
we're in line to fight the uh, for the ring magazine title. Yeah, I mean, like I say, your improvements have just been unspeakable. It's been amazing. But then when you do look at that fight with Rocky Fielding that was just so, so close, it could have gone either way. And then to see what he obviously went on to do, he got the shot at Zoyga, which I know you badly would have wanted that shot. He got that, and then he went on to get the massive payday against Canelo while you've kind of had to, you know, fight these guys like dangerous guys, like a Sorokin, people like that. You know, hard, hard fights, but you haven't really had the credit. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for you because, like I say, you've got that moment you're going into this fight and the timing is right you I feel are in your prime right now um, am I am I right in saying that John? Yeah and I mean the guiding thing is I, I did get offered the Zoya fight but um, just the terms weren't right and I would have been having beaten him I would have been locked into a, a contract with the Salams and I, I don't believe that I would have the Canelo fight would have come off for me whereas well I wasn't signed to promote at the time so um, that didn't work out but listen everything happens for a reason in this sport and I believe that I'm in a much better position now, and uh, mentally and physically, that this is the, the time is right now for me to go and become world champion. Absolutely, and I want to ask: Did you get to see David Benavidez recapture his title on the weekend against Darrell at all? I've seen I've seen bits and bobs of it. Um, I just feel like Darrell went into a bit of a shell once he got that cut. I know it was a nasty cut, but I think that's what you see with the Darrell brothers. They um, when when the chips are down, they uh, they kind of start looking. They 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 become very disillusioned with it, and they start looking for ways out. And also, Billy Joe Saunders, now a world champion at 168. That's happened since we last spoke. As skillful as he is, John, some would say he's probably the weakest champion at 168 because the other champions are all looking so good. You know, they're they're, they're bigger than him physically. Where do you think he fits in out of the four champions? Obviously, everyone's still undefeated. The four champions. Uh, no, you know what? He's um, obviously you've got to put Callum Smith number one, but um, I think Billy Joe's there. Yeah, listen, he he does what he has to do. He's um, he's undefeated for a reason. He's he always finds a way. He's he's he's, he's crafty. Um, he he's sometimes guilty of just doing enough to win, but listen, he's enough is always is always more than what the opponent's giving. So. Um, He's doing something right. And I believe back under Dominic Ingle now, I think you see the best of Billy Joe Saunders. We shall wait and see. Many, many, many brilliant fights at super middleweight to be made yourself included in that mix for sure. And finally, the, the last real question for you, John. I'm asking this to everybody at the minute. AJ Ruiz, um, a huge shock on June the 1st. The rematch happens in December in Saudi. Uh, how do you see the fight playing out in all honesty? Oh, I just think AJ's going to recapture what was his... I don't believe he was truthfully right on uh, on that on that show, and I know he said everything went went to plan and and went right for him, but I just don't believe he looked like he looked himself walking into the ring. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think he'll he'll get him out of there pretty comfortably. I think he might box a lot differently, but I think he's he's going to become the uh, a two-time world champion and recapture it. Hopefully, fingers crossed for him. And finally, John, any closing words at all to our listeners before we let you go, my friend? No, just thank you for the support. Um, always always backing me all the way. And um, I think you're in for a treat November 23rd and watch me do my thing. Absolutely cannot wait. Listen, John, I want to thank you so much for giving me some of your time this week. Best of luck for November 23rd and we'll certainly catch up sometime after the fight. Definitely. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. appreciate that we get it out there.
Okay, and this wraps up episode 207 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the reigning WBO Super Featherweight World Champion, Jamel Herring, and the man that will be challenging for the WBA Super Super Middleweight World Title, John Ryder. Like I say, thank you so much to both guys for taking part in this week's show. I wish both men the very best of luck in their world title fights in November. A massive thank you to you also for listening to this week's show that is to all of our listeners the prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 17 points Iaz is on 11 points and you the listeners are on 10 enjoy your weekends people remember if you get a chance to leave us a review please do it the reviews on itunes mean a great deal remember to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend stay safe everyone over the weekend enjoy the boxing enjoy the action and we shall see you all again next week